I'm Shereen Batik, and this is Starting Out. Digiday's new podcast where I take the personal route to find out how it began for the marketing industry's biggest movers and shakers, a candid conversation about their special powers that makes their craft and leadership so remarkable that everyone wants to be them. Our guest this week is Jeff Goodby, chairman at Goodby Silverstein & Partners in San Francisco and widely known as one of advertising's greats. Have you ever been fired? No, I'm luckily I've never been fired. Silverstein was fired and it's, you know, I think when people get fired, it it like sticks with you. He's still pissed. So Jeff may never have been fired, but he's arguably had to do worse, fire a lot of people himself. In the last little while, the agency has gone from 900 people to 300 people, a necessity when it comes to figuring out next steps for this venerable shop. And after all, growing and shrinking is a part and parcel of business and advertising. You've fired people, right? Yes, I have. Um, (laughs) But, you know, usually there's a really rational reason for firing people. And, you know, it has to do with them just not being the right person at that point in time for that job. It doesn't mean they're a bad person. Or, you know, you don't have the money to pay them anymore. That's really (laughs) common. That's a pretty good reason. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I think we try really hard to take into account the, you know, the circumstances of the person and, you know, um, give them good recommendations if they deserve it mm-hmm. and um, try to, you know, try to stay in touch with them and make sure they're okay. Yeah. I think we're pretty good at that. It's interesting that it sticks with you. Yeah. I feel like this business is so much, there's so much merry-go-round. There's so much kind of going in and out that God, you know, you, the chances of you working with somebody at some point again are astronomically high high maybe higher than other industries well, it's possibly. why it's why when you do fire people or, you know or they leave you don't burn bridges with them because they'll be back you know sometimes yeah they'll, sometimes they'll end up being your client sometimes <laughs> you know you want them back you don't want them back. but uh you do have to be careful of you know i always try hard to have people feel good about us in the end you know yeah. there's no reason to trash people what's the hardest part of your day um, the hard, the hardest part of my day is to do things that I know are good for the company, you know, um, writing, writing new business proposals and things like that, that I try to help with. I don't really enjoy that very much. I mean, I love pitching new business and winning it, but I don't really like writing, you know, requests for information and responses, but they're really important to have good or you don't get into these things. And so thinking about issues like that. Thinking about issues of structure of the company, I mean, I think I'm good at those issues, but I don't love sitting around doing that. It's not my choice. Um, yeah. You know, as Goodby's grown, do you? How is the, how how much more of that those structural conversations A take lot. up your time? Right. A lot, but you know, structure also involves shrinking. Like we've we've gone, you know, we started with three people mm-hmm. in. Um, 2013, I think it was, we were like 900 people and then we've shrunk back down to 300 something. So that's what happens in advertising. You know, if you don't have the Chevrolet account anymore, you don't have a lot of people and you have to deal with that. So managing is not just managing to get bigger. A lot of times it's managing to get smaller, a little bit smaller, a lot smaller and still be good. And that's hard too. That can be harder, really. 
I mean, you know, you're not throwing money around. You get a, you get a big new account and you're bringing people in and you're hiring all your friends and, you know, mm-hmm. we've always wanted to hire her. Let's do it. And, you know, it's great. Um, getting smaller is actually harder. Well, you have to figure out where to cut. Yeah, you got to figure out where to cut. You're talking about people. Whenever we cut, this sounds crazy, but we put the pictures of the people up on the wall so that you're actually like thinking about them and not just going, oh yeah, just a name, you know? <laughs> wow. Where, where did that idea come from? Where did, where did, how is that, how has that thing know. become a part of what you do? I don't know. It just sort of started happening. Maybe one of our creative directors or HR people suggested it. It really helps. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's not I mean it makes you it's not personal. It makes you not uh, be cavalier about this stuff, you know? It makes you take it seriously. Do you, you think, know. do you think arguably I mean, yes, it makes you think of them as people at the same time you're kind of making it harder on yourself too. Which is a good thing. It's a good thing. Yeah. I like when people, you know, it is hard and they should go home and um take it seriously, you know? I mean, they should think about it seriously. I don't think anybody in our company takes this stuff yeah. lightly. I mean, there are some people that are better at being cold and analytical about it than others, but um, I'm not one of those. <laughs> and uh, But there are people that are good, and you got to have them too, those analytical people that are like, yeah. well, what's, what's he done lately kind of people. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> that what's, was what's good, that but it's five done? years old. <laughs> you always need those kind of people. <laughs> yeah. What are you like as a boss? Do you think- wow. You know what? I'm different with different people. Uh-huh. Um, I try to ascertain what the person is like and what they're going to need in terms of help. <laughs> like, you know, I, I think your first thing you do as a boss is try to make everybody like you and want to work with you. And it's really cool. And so, you know, you're always like, you know, yeah, that's great. That thing you wrote is really fantastic. Show me another one. Of the-. And then you find that that's really not a good idea because things are bad things are coming out and and you have to find a way to tell somebody it's not that good yet and you got to fix it and here and try to help them or you know sometimes I even write something that's like a bad version of the thing so that they can see oh I see what you mean um and I you know I, I try to like lead them down a path a little bit um but there you know there are some people you have to really beat up and tell them that the stuff is bad and not be funny about it <laughs> it's, or else they do. don't listen to you you know that's really the only way they, they, you can get them to listen to you do you remember the first person who you ever managed do you remember who it was um was that hard to learn kind of now you my to be... little brother <laughs> <laughs> no he'd kill me if he heard that luckily he will never listen to this podcast um <laughs> we'll make sure of it don't worry Scott, if you're out there, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> We're very sorry, Scott. <laughs> uh, first person I ever managed. I mean, you know, we we uh, we had a very small company, so really the first thing we did was bring in our friends who were good writers, and some, a lot of them were like fiction writers and poets and stuff, and so we got them to write um, radio and TV commercials, and it was fun. It was crazy. Um, we... Uh, we invented a fictional character for, for a local radio station. We invented this fictional character, Harry, who had seen every movie in the world. And, and people would talk about him. Like, and we'd get a different actor in like for every TV commercial. And Harry never appeared in the commercial. You only heard somebody talk about Harry. And it'd be like, 
you know, Harry knows everything about movies. He said, this thing is great. And, you know, he would tell you to watch this yeah. thing tonight on TV. But some of the people that we got, you know, we wrote things for like homeless people and, you know, the mayor of San Francisco talking about Harry. And so, and we, and they were really creative things, crazy things to write. And, you know, we got our friends to come in and do that. And again, I had, to, you know, I had to dismiss things that people that I knew and liked had written. Because you'd hired people. I had to do it. Yeah. You know, you kind of have to figure I mean, it out. in the end, yeah, in the end, it's what makes them proud to to be part of it you know it's because it's a good thing so you know they understand um you know what i don't know is how how did you and rich meet sort of for the very first time like do you remember the first ever time you met him and what that was like yeah because um i was working with another art director at hal reiney Mm -hmm. dennis mcveigh and we were we were doing really well. We had won some lions and stuff together, and uh, I thought we were just going to hang out together forever. And then one day, um, Ryan, he was he started the process of pitching this baseball account, the Oakland Athletics, and um, he was talking to me about working on it. And I said, "Great." And uh, and then he said, "I got a new art director. I want you to work with on this." And I said, "Oh, a well, breakup? You, you don't want? Yeah, he broke me up." Yeah, and I was like, "Really? You don't?" Know, and you know, Dennis knows a lot about baseball, and I don't, know, I don't know what came across him to do that, but uh, he did. And um, so I started working with Rich, and and maybe what he was thinking is, and I think this is really smart, is Rich is a really different guy from Jeff, and he doesn't give a shit about baseball, and Jeff loves baseball too much, so Jeff's going to write all the stuff that's like in his own underwear, and <laughs> and Rich will offset that and keep that from happening. And that, that has worked on a lot of things. Like, he's a big um, sports car freak, and I don't really care about cars at all. And we've worked on things like Porsche, and, you know, he's he's been the one that was in his, in two inside it. You so, offset each other. Yeah, and that's a good thing to think about when you, ha- when you have a partner in business. You know, have somebody different. Have somebody different. Yeah. In life. Even in life. Don't get somebody that just agrees with you God, all the time. Imagine. Yeah. <laughs> What's the fun of that, right? Yeah, I mean, they have to agree with you sometimes. Yes, that is true. Maybe like 10%. Um, tell me about your favorite memory uh, with Hal Reini. Oh, wow. I have so many memories of him. Because he's a, he was a tyrannical guy to work for, mm-hmm. but his standards were so high that, you know, I have a million stories of him holding my feet to the fire. <laughs> In fact, you know, I, I tell this story that when I first got the job and I was scared to death of him, First of all, it's a tiny place. It was only about 25 people. Okay. And so there was no room to hide. No room to hide. And I went to work. The first day was on a Saturday. He told me to come in on Saturday. I said, okay. Wait, what? They were doing a new business pitch, so I had to come to work on Saturday. So I come to work, and uh, Tom Teach, one of their big art directors, really good, good art director, was there. And, and I told him, you know, I was working at Jay Walter, and I'm kind of worried about coming over here because there are so many good people in the the advertising is so good that it's, I don't think I can keep up. And he said, no, you wouldn't be here unless you could. You'll be okay. And that was really a nice thing That's for nice. me. Yeah. 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 It made me feel like I could do it. But um, early on in the first week, I was going into Hal's office. He had called me in for something. And um, as I sat down, he got a phone call. And it was from his best friend, Dick Snyder, mm-hmm. director at the time. And, and I could tell that Dick was saying, you know, what are you doing? And Hal said, uh, 
just trying to create some of the world's best fucking advertising. And he looked right at me as he said that. <laughs> like, he expected you to do the best advertising in the world with 25 people in San Francisco and a couple of dinky beer accounts and stuff, you know? Yeah. Like, he, he, he wouldn't, wouldn't settle for anything less than that. What went through your head when he said that? I mean, was it supposed to be fear? Like, am I going to make this? Did you have imposter yeah. syndrome? Yeah, I mean, you know, I thought... I thought I'm going to have to do the best things I've ever done and, you know, and fight for them because, yeah. and keep them intact. And, uh, and I did do that. I, I did something that I think was smart at the time, which I learned to write like him. He had a very style of his own. And I think he saw that as respect that I learned to kind of like write things like what he did. But one day I actually did a campaign that made fun of this stuff. He had a very distinctive style, sort of a, avuncular western man kind of voiceover not long ago in a little town in california you know like that um and so i I did a parody of that stuff that actually used the voiceover that i wanted him to do um and it it was for corn nuts and it was about uh it was a campaign about this little town in california that that suddenly uh underwent this uh, transformation in their corn so that the ears of corn were six feet long and the, the the nuts were really big and uh <laughs> but it was totally serious it was like where are you, know, you going with a quality this? a quality of corn that had never been seen before and uh and i went in there and showed him that and he said well uh, this kind of makes fun of the rhiny thing i don't think that would be good to have on our reel would it <laughs> i said and you did a half not half shake I, just, I said yeah you gotta have a sense of humor about yourself come on let's do it let's do it it's gonna be funny it's gonna be funny he did it i you know i give him credit he did it he did it i know a lot about you as i said earlier it's it's, it's a little creepy how much i know about you but uh-oh. One of my favorite parts about your life is that you started as a newspaper reporter. And that was, you know, back when there was such a thing as a legit newspaper Real reporter. Yeah. yeah. And tell me about how you got into that. How do I get, boy. So I was a, uh, an English major in college. And, um, Great career prospects, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I was facing, <laughs> I was facing extreme poverty. And um, I had interviewed to be a teacher at some places, and they, thank God they didn't let me do that. <laughs> um, and uh, so I started thinking, well, what else could I do? And um, it was the time right after, well, it was during the time that um, the Watergate hearings were on, and reporting was big, you know? It was yeah. like, you know, the Washington Post and all that excitement and Ben Bradley and everything. And, um, and I thought that could be fun, you know, to be a reporter. So I started interviewing around and I, man, I went everywhere. And that's probably one of the lessons for your people listening is not to stop because it's really easy to go to three places and go, I guess I'm never going to be a reporter and you have to just keep going back, you know, and eventually you'll learn something from somebody that will lead to something else and then mm-hmm. you'll get offered a job. And that's kind of what happened. And so I started working at a little newspaper north of Boston called the Peabody Times. And actually, a bunch of famous people worked there. Yeah. N- Nina Totenberg worked there. Mm-hmm. Um, Joe, Joe Klein worked there. The Peabody Times is like one of those like bastions of... It is. Th- they teach you in journalism school, you know, very classical. Like, you know, the Peabody yeah. Times. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so it was good. It was a good time to do that. And I was like the youngest, scrubbiest reporter. So... What they do is they put you on, you know, the the police beat. So 
I had a motorcycle and I would go from town to town down the coast of Massachusetts, Mm -hmm. stopping at each police station and hoping that someone like got killed in some really grotesque way. Fingers (laughs) crossed. Any any murders today? Patty Hearst had been kidnapped. So my real dream was they find Patty Hearst in this little town in Massachusetts. Never happened. And you find Patty Hearst. I would literally go in there and go, Patty Hearst? No. Okay. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the problem with reporting is that was exciting when you're young, but then they kick you upstairs to be like a political reporter and they want you to go to Boston and cover, you know, politics and talk to Tip O'Neill and people like that. And that, I didn't like that. I didn't like sitting at meetings waiting for the mm. legislature to approve some tax hike thing. I mean, it was just awful. And, and you know, and, and all reporters like this, they sit around and go, oh, that was stupid. I could, I could do so much better than she's doing. Let, let me do this. Oh, man. I can't believe he got elected. You know, I mean, you just, you're a real cynic if you're a reporter. Thanks. There. Yeah. Yeah. It works. It's part of the deal. Yeah. You kind of have to be. Yeah. So where did you, I mean, what were, tell me about a story you, you wrote or reported on that you loved. Oh, man. I, I did a whole series on, it sounds crazy, but um, the mafia was moving the strip joints out of this one um, street in Boston, Washington Street. And they're trying to, so the, the, uh, the, the city's fathers were like cleaning that area up. We're going to clean up the strip joints. And the mafia went, okay, we'll move them out into the suburbs. And so they moved them to Peabody. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and you're and like, yes. They opened like a whole new strip in Peabody. And I, I was like, yeah, this is great. So I did a series like on this where I was going in and talking to these guys. That, you know, they would have guns on their desks and stuff. It was, it was scary. You were so of brave. And, uh, and, and hanging around watching women strip, which was, you'd think would be fun, but it kind of, after several <laughs> nights, it becomes kind of tiresome. And, and I got to know them and, and interviewed them too. But it was all about, you know, do you want this place in your little suburb? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still there, I think. <laughs> <laughs> that, there's your answer. <laughs> Tell me, um, so you get, you get upstairs, you're doing political news. You're yeah, bored. I also covered the resignation of, of Richard Nixon. So that sounds really cool. Like, yeah. oh, did you go to Washington? And like, no. They said, think of a really creative place to cover the resignation of Richard Nixon. Mm-hmm. So I, I went into a little tannery bar. The town was full of tanneries. I went into like a real blue-collar bar to watch on TV as he resigned right. and talk to people there. And um, it was a wonderful eye-opening experience, you know. Why? And, um, because of the mixed emotions people had about Nixon at the time, like some of these guys were still supportive of him, you know, mm-hmm. similar to what's going on now mm-hmm. with our president and probably not quite as, as divisive as it has been lately. But mm-hmm. it, you know, it was, it was an interesting crowd and they were like, they were, they were getting tense with each other about this event. Right. At one point I went into the men's room. You're not supposed to do this in a bar. And I came out and snapped a picture of the place, like fast. And a few guys saw me do it. And it was not a good thing to do. They, they got really upset with me. And I think I actually ended up leaving the bar before the actual event had taken place because of these guys. <laughs> <laughs> so you go upstairs, you're doing political reporting, you're going to the tannery. Um, why did you want to, at what point did you feel like you got restless and wanted to do something else, something that you felt would make you happier? 
Probably not that long after the Nixon resignation because there wasn't anything interesting to think about anymore. And uh, it kind of caught up with me. And um, my then girlfriend, now my wife, um, is from Southern California and she didn't like living in Massachusetts. So I said, okay, um, I will consider moving to San Francisco, to California, but the only place I can stand there is San Francisco. I don't like the rest of the state at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if we could live in San Francisco, I'd do it. So we, we moved out and uh, literally... I know this is like the cliche people think that I am, but I was living out of a Volkswagen bus, like in the in the woods outside San Francisco, and coming into town every day, and doing interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, and and at first I was interviewing to be a reporter, but I couldn't get a job doing that, so I started thinking of what else could I do, and uh, I came up with this idea that you know, I'm, when I was in college, I read communication arts and things like that, and I thought maybe I could write ads. And so, you know, I didn't know the internet didn't exist. So I started like going down the yellow pages and calling up advertising agencies and seeing if I could come in and talk to somebody. And I wouldn't know the difference between, you know, BBDO and Bob and Fred's little agency with a couple of guys smoking marijuana. So I would just come in and like talk to them. And uh, and eventually somebody said, you know, you're never going to get a job showing this... um, newspaper writing and right because you didn't have a portfolio at that point yeah you had, you, no portfolio. you had your reporters i mean so. i yeah i had political stories and he, some humor and i and i i know how to draw I'm, I'm, i can illustrate so i was drawing for some magazines and i had that kind of stuff and and um the creative director at mccann erickson charles martell said you know here's here go home make instead of using this resume which is really boring um, write a one-page autobiography that's funny and shows that you'd be a cool guy to work with. Okay. And then take three campaigns that you hate and write new advertising for those companies. Take three campaigns that you like and make believe you work at that agency and write new stuff for them. And then invent a product or two for some companies. Wait, and, tell me about uh, the products you invented. Do you remember? I can't, I can't remember. Uh, oh, wait, one of them was like, at, at the time, it seemed um, crazy, but it was like a, it was like a, um, um, a, a sanitary napkin product for Johnson & Johnson. Okay. It was that kind of Simple. thing. Simple, yeah. yeah. Um, so I invented a few things, and then, you know, that were logical for companies to make. And, um, and I went into uh jay walter thompson it only took me a couple of weeks to write this stuff like nowadays i would i would go it's not, it can't be good enough i only did it in two weeks <laughs> but, but it's I all did about it. time spent <laughs> yeah and when you're a reporter you know you get used to like really being able to write fast because i had to publish five things a day so you know you could have people like talking about having sex here and i could continue writing and <laughs> listen to the story at the same time so i can write quickly and um I, I got the book together and I went to J. Walter Thompson in San Francisco on the day that they got the Chevron account, the Standard Oil account. And I'm sure they were like, we can always fire them. I mean, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a really good hiring philosophy. Yeah, I, I I've used it myself. <laughs> um, and uh, <laughs> Take the risk. You could always get rid of them like, at will employment. <laughs> exactly. So I, uh, so I, you know, I, I started there. Big pay hike. I think I was making twelve thousand dollars as a reporter, and I, I asked for fifteen, and they gave it to me, to, as a writer. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Which was not bad for that time, mm-hmm. 
and you know it's like the stone age and um and i started writing and and you know I, again another piece of advice for people out there you know i know that everybody is like oh man i want to work at droga or widening kennedy i don't want to work anyplace else well just work somewhere and start doing things because that's what happened at thompson for me mm-hmm. is it wasn't a great creative department at the time and yeah. so i immediately got to do things that i should have had no business doing i didn't know how to do hmm. and they would go well why don't you write the new campaign for this and i go okay and uh and they would let me do it and you know within a year or two i was working on their best stuff you know you it were the big great. fish in you know a small pond exactly basically. became the big fish in the small pond yeah and then um hal Reine saw some animation that i had done for them for chevron and uh called me up to uh to talk to him how do you think that would like, could this ever happen today? Like this story, this way of getting into the industry, this, what seems like a bunch, a little bit of luck, a lot of great coincidences, talent, yeah. but it, it feels like it just can't happen today. It just feels like this won't happen to somebody graduating and hoping for a job in advertising today. I think it could actually, if you had the um, initiative to make your own portfolio and think about, you know, expressing yourself in some way that was humorous and useful to an advertising agency. And that doesn't always have to be ads, but many times it is. I mean, I've hired people that sent me a cartoon a day for, you know, weeks until finally I go, all right, fine, I'll meet you. Great. And, <laughs> Just stop know, sending me these cartoons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they were good. They yeah. were good cartoons. And the guy turned out to be a brilliant writer. You know, there, there are ways of getting hired and showing people that you're smart and creative that aren't maybe the traditional ways of going to art school and having a book. In yeah. fact, I, I kind of like people that don't go through the advertising schools or at least go get a degree before they go to them because mm-hmm. they just tend to know more about life and things. You know, if you ask them about a, a yeah. book or a movie, they might have a prayer of knowing what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> There's, it seems like there's a, it's, it's almost, you know, the reason I asked that was it's kind of, it feels like it's gone clinical sometimes. Um, like the process got clinical. There's, I, I was, I had a great chat with somebody the other day and they're like, have you noticed there's no more greats anymore coming up? Like the greats happened. He actually mentioned you and I'm not just saying it cause you're here, but it's like the greats happened and now there's no more. Like where do they come from? Because now everything is, have you made 15 billion YouTube ads yet? And 14 snapchats and then you're done i mean oh is no there, there are greats out there there are greats out there I, you know i think they're definitely i mean you know, I've, I've got people that work for us that are you know really yeah you know people that will m- perhaps go on i don't know what they'll do with their lives from here but perhaps go on and be people that you remember and talk about for sure. I'm not going to say their names because then people will want to hire them and I'm trying to deter that. <laughs> Let's not do that. Yeah. Um, do you feel like people romanticize advertising? Romanticize it? Yeah. I mean, you've got, you know. Well, they don't know what it is. Okay. If that's what you mean. I mean, people don't know what I do. My kids have stopped even asking what I do. You know, it used to be I made commercials. Like, you know, if I was on a plane and somebody said, what do you do? I would say I write TV commercials and they would go, wow, that's cool. Yeah. Now you say I write TV commercials and they're like, what are they? You know, like, <laughs> wait, who are you sitting next to on a plane? <laughs> they also what go, are they? <laughs> they also do this. They go, okay, so if you're an author of a book, mm-hmm. you like, and you know, you tell somebody you're an author, 
the people that you tell that to don't immediately think of the shittiest book they've ever read and go, did you write that sh- really shitty book? But with advertising, if you tell them you write commercials, they, they go, you didn't write the one where the woman does, you know, like a really yeah. shitty, the woman's insulting in like underwear and jumped yeah. into a pool of exactly. tar. You didn't write that, did you? And you're like, no, I don't, no, I don't write things like that. But they immediately think that that's what it's you It's because everyone's a critic. Everyone's a critic when it comes it's to true. advertising. Exactly. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. And that's what makes it good. That's what makes it fun. You know, I mean, I love that about it. The thing I love the most about advertising, which I love about reporting, too, is you can do things that actually get famous and people talk about, mm-hmm. you know, that's what I love. And that's a really good, it's a good thing to have happen <laughs> if you can get it to happen. What does your day look like today, these days? What do I really do? Yeah, what do you really do? Um, I usually get up about five o'clock and either write things or paint, which I do at a little garage down the street until about 6.30 or 7 o'clock, an hour and a half or two hours, if things are going well. And, um, and then I come back and start working <laughs> on work work and doing um, doing emails and maybe writing some stuff until you know, 8.30 or so, and then I go swimming around then, and I go swim like 20 or 30 laps, and then wow. I come back to the house and get in my car and drive to San Francisco. <laughs> and then I, uh, and I usually, you know, my day is so varied. I mean, one of the great things about advertising is you never know what you're going to do. So usually I come in, and the first thing that happens is I get assaulted by Rich, who, <laughs> who even though I have a plan for the morning, like hijacks the whole thing and changes the plan. We've got to do this. That can wait, <laughs> you know, which I usually go along with. He has a lot of energy that way, and um, and so I, I, you know, and I'm a lot of it is listening to um, people talk about ideas they've got and could I improve them. You know, I'm still the creative director on a few things, but I tend to go around and help on stuff that's in trouble or hmm. put out fires or like a triage nurse. Tria- exactly, I'm a triage nurse, and and um, very often that you know the triage involves people that are high up at our on our clients, so I can help. You know, yeah. like I can. I really like I really like championing good work. Going to a client and going, you know, I heard you. I heard you guys rejected this. You should, you should think about it. Do they usually rethink yeah, it? If it's yeah, Jeff could be coming at you, they usually say, kinda, "Yeah, okay." You can't pull this a lot. <laughs> it's, it's like that veto card. Use yeah, it you once got, in a you while. You got to be careful. Yeah, the you same kind. It's like, oh god, Jeff's calling again. <laughs> that well, that's thing what happens if you do it too much. I've got, I've got one client immediately came to mind that has that reaction. <laughs> Great. Well, Jeff Goodby, thank you so much for joining that was, us. That was really painless. I know. Sure? I make everything painless. Yeah, you sure? you it's all about like it. Then it's all in the editing. See, we get, we get, we'll take you out of context. <laughs> get you thank saying, God. Stitch things I know together. How that works. It will all good. <laughs> That's it for this episode. Starting out as a production of Digiday, and our producer is Aditi Sengal. If you like us, then subscribe now. We're on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Leave us a review to let us know what you think. Thank you for listening. See you next week.